challenging students and pushing them a little bit out of their comfort zone while they're still students is going to give them the opportunity to go back to the rest of their rotations and say, okay, I really need to work on this, this, and this, and I still have this time in school to do it before I'm out there in the real world. Welcome back to That Vet Life, a podcast for veterinary mentors and mentees. My name is Dr. Mariah McCauley, and this week I am talking with Dr. Alexander Pop about mentoring within mixed animal practice. Alex is a 2019 graduate from North Carolina State University who jumped into practice ownership with both feet right after graduation when he purchased the Appalachian Veterinary Services. Since then, he has built an incredible practice, not just with the level of medicine that is provided, but with the mentorship too. And in today's episode, Alex and I talk about mentorship within a mixed animal practice and what vet students should be looking for in quality mentorship. There is so much to cover, so let's jump right in. All right. Well, Alex, welcome back to the show. I love having guests back on the show just to see how life has changed. So it's been like, what, you said like three years since we chatted last? Yeah, I think it's been three years and so much has changed. Oh my goodness. So, so much has changed. Like the last time we talked, I was in vet school. I was in my final year. And Alex had just graduated and he was looking at buying a practice, which a huge congratulations is in order because you not only bought said practice, you have built said practice because I know I'm going to butcher the name, even though I just practiced like 10 times. (laughs) Can you tell us the name of your practice? Yes. So it is Appalachian Veterinary Services in Christiansburg, Virginia. So not too far from where I'm currently located. And I've yet to make it down to see your practice, but that is definitely on my list of things to do because you have completely overhauled this place and um, it's a mixed animal practice. Like if you were talking to vet students and saying like, hey, come see my practice as an extern, like what do you talk to them about to kind of sell it? We have a really unique opportunity in the area because we are really close to the Virginia Tech vet school. So we get a lot of students from Virginia Tech that reach out. We're only about 15 minutes away from there. But as far as what we can provide, we can feel really comfortable in providing really, really strong medicine, practice really progressive methods, and also know when to stop, but also have the opportunity to collaborate with the vet school on cases that we refer there. So on the large animal side, we definitely are able to do a lot. Small animal side, The way that the practice is set up is sort of interesting. We're a mixed animal practice, but none of the doctors that work there are true mixed animal vets. So we have a small animal exclusive vet, and then we have three large animal exclusive vets that will see a dog or a cat on farm. But I think that is really unique about us being a mixed animal practice. But I enjoy it because it allows everybody to kind of focus on their niche and do what they enjoy doing. So there's a huge variety everyone is an expert in their little field. That is so cool to see because I know for a lot of vet students, when they go to mixed animal, they're still in a way expecting that James Harriet type of experience, just in that there's like one or two vets and they do everything. But I think your practice is very unique in that question of how do we keep mixed animal practice as a viable option for our clients and also for our veterinarians and technicians and that you're able to say, yes, you can bring all your different types of animals to our practice, but you will see a veterinarian who quote unquote specializes 
more in that niche of species. So rather than the horse vet that sees the GDV dog, you have like the small animal vet that really spends a lot of time seeing those dogs and cats. They have more of a caseload underneath their belt. In same ways, if you got a cow, a sheep, a horse, a goat, or a pig, or a chicken, like they're more geared towards the large animal side. And so you can see a veterinarian who does that. So from a client perspective, that's awesome because you know you're still going to get that high quality type of medicine, which again, that's another little stereotype that we see with a lot of mixed animal practices is that they're not as progressive. They're not as gold standard as they could be, partly because of where they're located, also just how thin their veterinarians are stretched with the different species. And then from the veterinary student perspective, just looking at it as like, okay, I want to go to a mixed animal practice so that I can see all these different species. Maybe I'm still trying to decide what area of vet med I want to go go into. And so to go to a practice like what you are offering, it allows you to see the small animal side and see the large animal side, but still, again, have that high quality level of medicine so that you can, again, partly make an informed decision about what type of medicine you want to practice, but then also see a mixed animal practice that is absolutely killing it at, in what they're doing. So I think that is an awesome opportunity for everybody offered all around. So well done for coming up with that concept and really holding true to those high levels of medicine, which are out there, but they're not always as accessible as we'd like them to be. And again, I think you guys are in a really awesome location geographically because you have the vet school nearby. So you can take on a lot of these cases. And like you said, you know when to stop, you know when to refer it on, and you have the option to, which again, not everybody has. They might be the only practice within a three to four mile radius, and you got to do what you can with what you got. But you guys are just in that really niche location that you can provide a heck of a lot to your clients and then also to your externs. So that's awesome. Yeah. So the reason that we're talking about these externs a little bit, um, or a lot of it, is that we are talking today about mentorship within the mixed animal space. So you guys have been having the opportunity of bringing some externs through your practice. You recently brought on a large animal new grad, which I feel like that deserves like awesome snaps and claps because we know first off how hard it is to come by a veterinarian for a practice. It's it's even harder to find a large animal veterinarian. So I kind of going to turn this over to you in talking about Like when you're talking to these veterinary students who are coming on to your practice, like what is the initial conversation that you have with them about setting expectations? Like what are you hoping to show these students or hoping that they'll learn? I always send a questionnaire to anybody that's coming into our practice and I kind of flip the conversation and let them take the lead on it and say, what are your expectations? What procedures do you want to work on? What techniques do you want to practice? Is there a particular species that you feel uncomfortable with that you want to spend more time with? And little things like that kind of guide us to help these students do a little bit more of what they want to learn. On the other side of it, I treat every single student that comes in here as if they're already a veterinarian. And I will ask them very briefly, say, hey, are you comfortable doing this? Do you want to try this? And if they're up for it, I say, go for it. There's nothing that somebody can mess up that I or somebody else in the practice can't fix. And if it's about to happen, we're right there to stop them. But I feel like 
challenging students and pushing them a little bit out of their comfort zone while they're still students is going to give them the opportunity to go back to the rest of their rotations and say, okay, I really need to work on this, this, and this, and I still have this time in school to do it before I'm out there in the real world. So what are some of the questions that you have on your questionnaire that then allows you to, A, target the type of cases that they see, but then also helps you evaluate the level of challenge that you end up giving them? I ask them specifics for procedurals. So is there a surgery that you want to work on? So we know to put you with a doctor that's going to be doing that while you're here. Do you want to practice techniques like hitting a jugular vein, pulling blood, administering vaccines, things like that. And then that way we know that we can push more and more of those tasks onto the student while they're here, and then also follow some sort of growth and improvement in technique during their time here as well. Another question that we ask is, what animal are you most comfortable working with? And then that gives us an idea of where we can comfortably challenge them a little bit more. And then we also ask, what animals are you really not comfortable working with? So we know, you know, we're not going to throw them into a situation where if somebody that's never touched a horse before, we're not going to expect them to be professionals at handling horses. But I think having that just really brief communication really helps guide and keep stuff in the back of our mind. And then I always ask them what they intend to do after they graduate. If we have a student that's coming that needs to fulfill a mixed animal rotation, I think that's different than a student that's coming who's 100% planning to go into mixed or large animal practice afterward. And both students get the same experience, but it kind of sets our expectation of, okay, this person's here to check a box. This person's here to truly learn and get ready to get out there. No, I think that is really huge that you guys are looking at it from your expectations as the host practice but then also trying to guide and provide a space for the expectations of the student who's coming through. Because like you said, some of them are just there to check a box. They're like, I never want to see a horse or a pig or a cow ever again after this rotation. And then you have others who are like, I want this to be my lifeblood. Like, this is what I want to do. So while you're going to try and provide the experience that you can for both of them, It just helps you, again, tailor those expectations because you might expect a little bit more of someone who wants to go into this than someone who's like, I never want to see a horse again. Like, please don't ever bring one near me. So again, different expectations. And then it sets that student up for success when you're trying to challenge them in ways that they can grow their confidence or grow their skill because you're doing it within that growth aspect of their comfort zone rather than throwing them out into the deep end. So I think that's really cool that you guys are doing that. And what have you found about the students who come through the practice, like from the start of the time that they're with you to the end, do you find, I guess, let me reiterate that question a little bit. So with the students who are coming through, like what is the length of time that you like for them to be there? And then when are you doing your touch points with them to evaluate their growth? That was a better way to say it. So it varies. We have students that come from multiple schools. Some schools do their rotations in two-week increments. Some do three weeks. We've had a handful of students that actually will spend back-to-back rotations with us. So currently we have a student here who's here with us for six weeks. And then I think it also depends on how long the student is here for those touch points. For the two-week rotations, I think that is kind of as we go. I remember... Very recently, we had a student here for a couple weeks, 
and she would jump from one doctor to another each day, just depending on what was being seen. And then we would kind of have to touch base and say, okay, well, what did you do with Dr. So-and-so on this day? Do you feel comfortable with that? Do you want to try it again? So I think the longer length of time they're here, the more formalized the check-ins are. And then we also want to make sure that they're getting the experience that they want. I have zero intention of using a student as free labor. I think that is awful. They are here to learn and it is our job to teach them. I love what you just said there at the very end, because that is like the bane of every single vet student's existence of going to a place and being like, I didn't learn anything. They made me clean kennels the entire time. Like, what? No, it's awful. (laughs) Like that is the worst mentorship experience on the face of the planet. So just to kind of like that you've already set up to say like, we're going to have students here and we're going to tailor their experience. Like that takes time, that takes energy, that takes finances, because we know that vet students aren't always the best with gauging how much material they need. If you've ever seen anyone do any suture work, you know that you're going to use like probably three times as much suture if a student is coming through. And that's not a bad thing. You guys that are listening, like that's not a bad thing. It's just kind of the expectation from the mentor's side. So for you guys to really focus on that time with them and say, all right, we're going to really focus down on what you want to learn, how you want to learn it, and really try and like, again, create those touch points to say, all right, how do you feel like you're doing on that skill right now? What do you think you need to do to continue to grow in it? Like that is huge. And not just from the learning that specific skill, but again, setting them up for success in how they grow and develop as a veterinary student. So in the amount of time that's there, like two weeks, three weeks, I heard like no one really is ever there for one week, right? No, we haven't had anybody there for one week. Okay. Yeah. And I feel like one week would be not near enough time, especially in a mixed animal practice, just because you don't really get to know the student in that amount of time and grow comfortable enough to maybe let them do some upper level procedures with only one week. So for students who are listening, who are thinking, oh, I'll just do like five one week (laughs) externships in a row, probably not going to learn a whole ton or get a lot of value out of those externships just because of the nature of the beast. They aren't going to get to know you well enough to trust you enough to give you those extra levels of things to do. So that would be my little little side note on that. But for you and your students that are coming through, like, do you ask anything of them to prepare before they show up? Typically not. You know, we go through all of the classic things. What are you allergic to? But as far as preparation, we don't really ask them to prepare anything as far as, you know, notes or anything like that. Just kind of like show up and be ready. So what would you say then are characteristics that you like to see in an extern who comes to shadow your practice? I find that the people that are most successful that come through as externs are the ones that aren't afraid to be wrong. I think that is the number one quality that a student can have is to be comfortable with being wrong because that's the safest place to be wrong is as a student. So the more you can practice that and get the things wrong while you have no true consequence of being wrong other than a little hit on the ego. Well, that's okay. I think those are the students that I see the ones that just fire off answers. And, you know, when we ask them a question, they're like, is it this, is it this? Because that makes it more fun for us because we can say, huh, you know, it's interesting how you got there. And then sometimes they get places where even, you know, I'm not all that far 
ahead of them. So it even keeps me fresh to say, you know, that's really interesting how you got there. That's not wrong. That's not what I would have done, though. So I think it's, it's really nice going both ways. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at Venex. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our Vetex community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetexinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. No, I feel like having students is a little bit humbling because, again, like you've only been in practice like you're like a year ahead of me, but like you'd forget what the thought process is like as a vet student when you're only three, four years out. And so it can be really humbling to be refreshed on how someone views a situation from a fresh pair of eyes, like a vet student. And so again, like you said, you don't always know how they got to the point that they came up with. And so you have to backtrack with them a bit. But you remember, like, that's what you were like when you were a vet student. And that is just them building those pathways and those pattern recognition steps in their mind. So what are some of the ways that you and your other doctors are creating that safe space? Like, what is it about your practice that makes it a good learning environment? I think the culture of our practice overall is a really, really strong suit in that it's not only the doctors that these students interact with, it's the techs and it's our office manager and it's our, you know, CSRs and, and everyone's kind of on the same page as far as every single person in the practice is comfortable asking one another a question because we are all there to fulfill the same purpose. You know, we're all rowing the same boat in the same direction. Each of us only gets one or including myself. But I think that really helps even internally when we're bringing on a new team member. One of the pieces of feedback that I get very frequently is I feel so comfortable to ask questions. I don't feel like I'm going to get berated for asking the same question. And I think that just carries into how our team answers questions, whether it be with another team member or if it's a student that's coming in. I love that mentorship is kind of a part of the culture of your practice. And like, as you're talking about, I'm like, that is what I want vet students to look for when they are looking for externships, when they're looking for jobs. And I feel like as a student, it can be hard to identify when you're looking at these practices. So I guess like, let's define that a little bit more. So like, if you have a new student who's coming to either your practice or a different practice, what are some of the green flags that a vet student would see in a practice that has mentorship as a part of their culture? I think the number one thing that I have found that, you know, I think everything comes in waves. There are times where even in our practice, things are not going 
100% like we would want them to, but we always rebound. But the number one thing that I have found is practices that define themselves as being busy are typically those practices that don't have or don't have the ability to make the time to not be busy. Being busy is not always necessarily a good thing. You have to kind of control your time. And I think the amount of meetings outside of game time, so to speak, that practices have and are able to sustain and schedule says a lot about how the whole practice manages its time. So if you have a practice that has rounds regularly and has team meetings regularly, you know that they have put forth the effort to set aside that time. Whereas if a practice never meets, it never hits pause, then it's going to be unlikely that they're going to be able to hit pause to answer a question or to do a ton of in-depth mentorship. And so what are the questions that a student can ask to find out about those pause buttons? So I think a really easy question would just be, how often do you meet as a team? No, that's a really great way to play it. It opens the door for the practice manager or the person that they're technically interviewing, like vet students interview the practices that they want to go see for shadowing or for jobs. It's not necessarily a one-way street. And when you ask them that, it opens up the door for them to say, oh, well, we meet as this way. We meet as our team meetings or as our department leads. And then you can kind of ask more um, focused questions. So kind of practicing those exam room um, consult skills at the same time as your interviews. So no, I think those are really good. So looking for mentorship in the practice, finding out how they deal with stressful situations. So maybe even asking like, what was the last time you guys had a a challenging situation and how did you handle it as a practice puts them in the hot seat, asking them how often they're meeting. Those are really great ways to kind of figure out like if they have mentorship in their culture. Because just like you said, if they don't have time to meet with each other, or how are they going to be able to create time to really talk to you as a student? Because ideally, there should be, it's not just you spend time with the doctors or the techs or, or whoever in the practice. Like there should be sit down time where you can kind of say, all right, what did you learn today or this last week? Or what questions do you have? So how are you guys? Because I know mixed animal practice, like it is a go, go, go type of thing, um, especially like just the nature of the job. So how are you building into your schedule these uh, touch point or pause buttons that allow students to ask questions in your day to day? So we have a weekly doctor's meeting every single Monday morning that we set aside an hour of time for. And this is a great time for students to sit in and kind of hear us round about cases. It's typically when the doctor that was on call a weekend before They'll tell everyone about the cases that they saw, kind of get everyone up to speed. If we need to transfer a case or if a doctor that day needs to see it because the doctor who's on call doesn't have time to see it. And that's a great time. So that's typically where we will bring up these ongoing cases. All the doctors are there. And it's what I love about the practice is our small animal vet will chime in on the large animal cases so much because she brings such a different perspective to things as far as medication and disease processes. You know, sometimes things are different, but sometimes it makes you scratch your head and go, well, there's no reason that we can't approach it like this. So I think that's it's really interesting. But those are the times to ask medical questions. And then as far as our practice meeting specifically, we have an all hands meeting every two weeks. And it's outside of hours, so the phones are not ringing. 
And this is a everyone on the team meeting. So this would be places where we update on policy, you know, practice wide things, but also gives everyone an opportunity to voice their opinion and ask for help from someone that they may not work with very often or be in the same space with every single day. That's really cool. They are, and just in the way that you're able to do that with rounds and then the all team meetings. And so during your week, when you have those externs, how are you building in those touch points? Like when are you sitting down with them and actually asking them, hey, what questions do you have? Like, how do you build that into your day when you're like, I have 500 million things happening all at once? Well, the pro and the con of being a mobile practice is you get a lot of time to sit in the truck together. And that is typically when I will say, okay, we've got a 35 minute ride to this next one. You know, let's talk about how you feel that last appointment went, you know, what questions, what do you think we could have done better? What do you want to do the next time we see something like this? So for the way that we're set up, that truck time is just invaluable. No, I think that's a, an aspect that we don't really have in small animal medicine. <laughs> we don't have the ability to just get in the truck and, and talk on the way. But I remember that being one of my favorite things about shadowing a mixed animal or shadowing a large animal vet, just because like you had so much time to go over the case that you just saw and then even prep a little bit for the case that you're about to see. And we would talk about things from the actual medicine to all the way through like communication aspects which is very different in large animal than it is in, well, not very different, but there are aspects that are rather different in communicating with a small animal client versus a large animal client, partly because of the animal that you're seeing, partly because of the fact that you're probably outside, um, stall side in large animal versus in small animal where they come to you. So it just adds a different flavor to things. But there are so many things that we've talked about here, just in like how you guys are prepping for having students the culture mindset that you bring to your practice, that when you're bringing these students in, how you're scheduling your time around allowing these students to learn and not just be there as free labor. This is something that I feel a lot of practices could take on board and should take on board if they, A, want to have students come through, which they should because new students means new vets and new vets means new employees. <laughs> from that aspect. So there's just so many different things there, but I want to give you a little bit of time here as we're wrapping up just to kind of, well, just to really like talk about your practice a bit, because I know there are some students who are listening here that maybe do want to see mixed animal practice, but they a don't know where to look. They don't know what to ask. <laughs> they don't know who to get in contact with. So floor is open to you. Yeah. So as far as our practice goes, I think the problems that I've been able to identify in large animal practice are, they're no longer unknown. I think for a long time, people were scratching their heads wondering, you know, why are large animal vets leaving the profession? And we have certainly identified these, you know, we can write them down on paper and we are building within our system of operation to eliminate as much of this as possible. And the things that we cannot eliminate, we make it more bearable. So that means, you know, things like spreading out on call time, you know, having more opportunity for time off. As far as me personally, I am a young veterinarian and I don't have the experience that, you know, somebody that's been in this profession for 30 plus years has. So I approach that 
knowingly and compensate for that with our CE budget that we offer our veterinarians and say, I will support you to go learn whatever you want to do as long as you will make use of this because I personally cannot offer you that experience. And there's no way around it because the only difference is time and I'm not going to wish time away. So little things like that are just being conscious about the problems that people are having. And then as far as students go, being so young out of practice, I still remember a lot of my experiences, you know, being mentored at different places, what I liked, what I didn't, what could have been different, and truly build our processes around that, just it being so fresh we really have the opportunity to use that information as much as possible because eventually, you know, I don't want to, but eventually I'm going to forget a lot of it and, you know, change how I operate as well. So yeah, I think that's a big advantage that originally I thought was going to be a disadvantage of the practice just being so young overall. No, and I think you, like you said, you've compensated for that quite well in just the, um, like what you're able to offer your staff members that come through. But then also just the fact like, yes, you guys are a young practice, but you are in an area that has clientele that like you're going to build that bond with. They are going to learn. They're not just learn, but they're going to trust you. They're going to respect you. They're going to come to you guys. And like they probably don't even care that you're the younger vet in the area. And so I think there's a lot to say for what you guys are providing as a practice from a client understanding aspect and then also just from a mentorship aspect. So if there are any students who are out there listening and they want to do a mixed animal practice and even if they're in your area or not, I recommend that you guys reach out to Alex. He's such an awesome human, amazing mentor, will definitely help guide you in the right direction. If he doesn't have the answer, he'll be able to guide you to someone who does. So as we're wrapping up time here, I do want to also allow you to share your social media so people can actually contact you. So where can people find you on the socials? So all of my social medias are Alexandru Poppy, so A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-U-P-O-P-P-Y. And then as far as our practice specifically, you can find more information about it at AppalachianVetServices.com. And there's a space where you can contact us there if you're interested in doing an externship or um, anything like that. Which if you guys are listening and you are in the Southwest Virginia area, the answer to do I want to see practice um, with Alex's practice is yes. (laughs) So all the information will be in the show notes. Um, Hopefully you guys will get a nice influx of students or potential new vets as a result. But I want to say once again, thank you so, so much for coming on the show again and chatting about what mentorship in mixed animal practice can look like for potential mentors who are listening and for potential students who are listening. But for the rest of you guys, thank you for joining us this week. If you're looking for more episodes of That Vet Life, you can find it on the VetX International page or wherever podcasts are found. But until next week, y'all, see ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. 
You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life.